You guys, hi, I'm Charlie Bleeker. And I'm Sam Bleeker. And this is Bleeker Bombs, a podcast where we talk about all our struggles, marital, parental, financial, and personal. Let's do this. Gosh, it feels so... Hi. Hey. <laughs> we haven't done this in a really long time. Yeah. And I, it's, it feels so silly that I'm like really nervous <laughs> and I, it's annoying. Like I'm annoying myself, but right before we started recording, we were downstairs eating lunch and both of us were not talking to each other, like clearly in our heads. And I was thinking about this and I asked you what you were thinking about and you were thinking about this too. Um, I was, so I was thinking like, okay, what am I going to talk about and try to figure out what I was going to say? And then I caught myself and I was like, okay, the point of this is to be present and authentic and I don't have to have all the answers and I don't have to have control over everything, but not having control gives me anxiety. And so I was just kind of wrestling with that. And then also the last time we did this, I think, um, I came really unprepared and then it was kind of like we were all over the place and it was kind of a mess. Um, and so I, I want to find the balance more of being prepared without like being scripted. Yeah, I think there is a balance there. And I think you can't come totally unprepared. I mean, it just increases the variance. Maybe we'll come up with something good, but there will be a lot of um, uh, jumble to get there. And a lot of times it won't go anywhere and it's just boring. But if we're too scripted and we come up with like exactly what we're going to say and we have our list of questions that I don't think works either, mm-hmm. I think the best approach is to have topics or chapters and that we can meander through and see where we go, but um, at least have some structure behind it. And last night I was saying, you said you wanted to record today and I said, okay, like, do you have topics that you want to talk about? And you looked at me like you do (laughs) with that look. That's just, no, I don't have topics. Do you have topics? (laughs) (laughs) I think for me, why I like this so much is it's, and I've said this before, but it's this forum to practice in the lowest risk possible because nobody even knows who I am. And right. And so for me, I don't get nervous because there's no risk. I know. Every time we record, you're like, you know, we don't have to publish this. But I roll my eyes because I'm like, I'm going to publish it. Not necessarily. Yeah, maybe not. I mean, I always have. And yeah, but- I, I can't, if I know that it might be something we publish then I can't help but still put the pressure on myself to create something that's worth listening to. I think that's good. Yeah, it's not a bad thing. Yeah, it's not a bad thing. Um, But it's not live also. Mm -hmm. So you have so many crutches. You can edit it. You you can cut things out. You don't have to share every single... I would like to get to the point where there is less pressure and anxiety and we can do this once a week And it takes less time. And then in that case, some maybe we don't publish and Mm -hmm. say, all right, well, that that didn't meet our hurdle of of, uh, of what makes a conversation worth listening to. But it's still practice for us. Right. Well, what we're talking about kind of parlays into one of the things I wanted to talk about, which is risk taking. And I was just thinking downstairs how I do a lot of things that are uncomfortable that push me outside of my comfort zone. And that feels like I have to do that for growth. And a lot of times that anxiety that I feel, it's like also exciting. I just started doing a new format for the podcast, which is like a memoir deep dive. And I just did my first one. 
and it was really scary and no kidding of course it's scary and it's just like well you know and you kept saying to me like if i if i didn't want to publish it i don't have to but there's a few reasons why i think it's really important to publish it one is because i want you to see and me to see the progression that i make so it's like yeah this is my the first one i'm doing it's not going to be my best one. You know, it's going to be one of those things where you look back like, wow, look how bad this first one was and look how far you've come. When you say you, do you mean me or do you mean everybody? Everybody. Okay. And for myself to yeah. see how far, to right. see the progression I've made. Because if I don't publish it, how else am I ever going to listen to it again? And then two, it's like, I read this book and I got a lot of value out of it that will help me eventually write my own memoir. And so I wanted to share that. And if... If there's anybody else out there who is also interested in writing memoir or any kind of personal writing, and this can help them too, then I have a responsibility to share that. It's also cool because by going through this process of reading the book, thinking about what you want to talk about, then talking about it, the recall is going to be so much greater. Like if you're in a conversation, how often does it happen with both of us where someone's like, oh, what's a book you've read? And we bring up a book and they're like, oh, what was it that you liked about it? Right. And then we ramble on and stumble and it's so we, good we gave them <laughs> absolutely zero inclination to read that book right whereas here the recall is going to be tremendous you're you're going to have your like yeah. talking points so crisp yeah and i was thinking about that with paulina pompliano because in my conversations with her she has such great recall yeah. of all of these different people and these stories that she's written about and I'm like, how does she remember all this stuff? But it's because she writes about them yeah. and she talks about them. And um, and then that way it's like embedded inside of you. And so I can already feel that with um, this first one I did. And now I, I just finished reading Matthew McConaughey's Green Lights. And I just sat down to start transcribing my notes. And already just by sitting down to start going back through the book, I feel like it's having more of an impact on me. Oh, 100%. Yeah, like Ryan Holiday talks about the process of physically taking notes on note cards when he reads. And yes, it's tedious and time-consuming and painful, but the recall is exponentially higher than if you just highlight it in the Kindle app, for instance. Mm -hmm. Um, It also increases the threshold for what is noteworthy. If you know you have to physically write it out, which for me I think would be a huge benefit because I tend to over-highlight yeah. And uh, I get lost in the sea of of notes, whereas if I really honed in on the most important takeaways, right. that forcing function would be helpful. Yeah. And then with the with turning it into a podcast to share, it's even another added layer because right. there was a lot of things that I had in my notes that I still wanted for myself, but it was repeating points. And so I had to nix those. Yeah, I heard somebody say this, uh, but so we're both huge fans of David Senra. And he also does that thing that you're talking about with Polina, where he is this, he just has this tapestry of historical figures and entrepreneurs that he can tap into, whether it's Estee Lauder or Edwin Land. And he's constantly, um, and then interweaving same patterns amongst these folks right but i heard someone talk about david center and i forget where it was but they were basically saying that his superpower is being able to very very quickly hone in on the most important takeaways from a book and not everybody can do it Mm. and i think you're cultivating that skill somewhat um yeah because as i was recording for this memoir um wild by cheryl strayed I was like speaking into the mic about something 
And I was like, this isn't that impactful as I was saying it, but it took me saying it into the mic. Like I planned to say it. I was like, this is important. And then as I was, I was saying it, I was just like, Oh, this is kind of falling flat. Yeah. I now remembered where I heard it. It was, and it, it makes more sense because it was Billy Oppenheimer who I think is Ryan Holiday's research assistant. And he said, actually in their interview process, Ryan Holiday will give them a book and tell them to come back with your most important takeaways. And so few people are able to actually get to what's interesting. Mm. And like David Center is able to just do it so pointedly. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that was really interesting. I, I think I would be in the camp of not really getting to the most interesting stuff or the most interesting takeaways. But I do think it's a skill that the more you do it, you'll get better. Yeah. And for, for what I'm doing, it's it feels even more specific because... I am trying to pull things out of the book that will help me write my own memoir. Mm -hmm. So in some instances, I'm like, okay, if this was my memoir, this is this is what I would do here. And so then I can bring in my my personal perspective. Yeah. But risk taking, you are a risk taker. And I told you this the other day and you were like, well, not with everything. Like I won't jump out of a plane. <laughs> um, but ever since I've known you, you've been willing to expose yourself to failure or criticism in a way that most people are not. I think the other part of taking risks that I am getting better at is to not like put disclaimers out or be self-deprecating about it or, you know, just like act like what I'm doing is not that important. So like, for example, I just did write a passage. I work for David Perel's online course. And in the live sessions, I am on a group chat with David and Will and, and the guys that kind of run the course. And at the, it was the last live session and they shared this video. It's this Casey Neistat video on YouTube and it's like really inspiring. And it's, and they've, they've played it a few times at the end of the cohort. So I knew the video already and they started playing the video and it was skipping. And I was just like, Oh my God, like this is ruining the video. It's like, it's such a good video and it's not landing because it's it's all skipping. And we're in the chat like talking about like, is this skipping for you? Is this skipping for you? You know, and we're all like commenting and I'm like sweating like, oh God, this is horrible. And after the video ended, do you know what David did? Nothing. He was just like, I love that video. And he like went into like just what he would have normally said and didn't even talk about the fact that the video was skipping. And I feel like sometimes when in the past when I've done stuff and I probably still do, I'll be like, oh, you know, it could have been better and this and that. And it's like, yeah, you know what? My first, um, you know, podcast about doing memoir is like maybe not the best it could ever be, but obviously it's not going to be the best it could ever be, you know, and I'm just going to keep improving. And that's not the point. The point is that I'm doing it and just do the work. Right. That's really cool that David did that. I mean, I think I was reading actually the presentation secrets of Steve Jobs and they also talk about that. Like if something doesn't go right, no one's going to notice. Mm -hmm. Just keep moving and don't, um, don't call any more attention to it than it deserves. And he was able to end that session or that moment on a high note rather than being overly apologetic and then yep. dwelling on it. So, but on, I mean, on the risk taking front, like David Center started in front of a microphone, what, five or six years ago and was basically just talking into a microphone with not that many listeners for years and now look at them. Um, I was thinking about risk taking as it relates to friends and community because I don't think I take risks that way. Like I think you used to. 
Yeah. When you lived, when you moved to LA and started working at uh, the restaurant you worked at for years, I think you you took a lot of risks. Well, and that was the most community I've ever felt. Right. Was when I was working there and living there, um, but I was also single. Right. Not when I started working there, but when I finished working there. And but you were not married. You may have been in a relationship like you were yeah. not married and you didn't have kids. Right. Um, and I worked there. There's something about like going to a place of work and totally. actually hanging out with people. Totally. And it just so happened that um, it's a pre filter. Yeah, it's a pre filter. And that they ended up just being an amazing group of people that I am still friends with some of them. Um, but you recently went to Capital Camp and we can talk about Capital Camp. But when you came back from ca- Capital Camp, you were rejuvenated and it was really nice for us to have a little bit of a break and for you to just like do your own thing and do something for yourself and you came back and you were like you need to do this too (laughs) you need to go like visit your friend or something and I was thinking about it and I said or go on a solo like trip to the like um a meditation retreat or a spa like whatever but when I was thinking about like if I were to go visit a friend I couldn't think of anyone to visit, which is crazy. Like, okay, I've got one friend, Amy, who lives in LA. Well, if I'm going to go away for a few days and like leave you and the kids, I'm only going to go for like three nights. So I'm not going to LA because it's all the way across the country and it's like such a far trip. I mean, my trip to Columbia, Missouri was probably more in depth than getting to LA. LA, you could, I think it's easier to get to LA than Columbia, Missouri, but. Well, that's interesting. So, well, okay. Anyway. Sorry. No, that's okay. So I was just thinking it's a really far trip to go for three nights. And then I was like, okay, my best friend is Kylie. She lives in my hometown and I have zero desire to go to my hometown. Um, because if I go to my hometown, I'm going to see my family. And if I'm going to see my family, I want you guys to be there. I, I just like, don't really want to go to my hometown by myself ever. Um, and after that I was like, there's not really anybody. And then the more I thought about it, I was thinking about this today, like I have like my old friend, I can't remember what her pseudonym is, but the ones who lived in Topanga that now live in Connecticut. And I haven't talked to them in a long time. Like I only texted with her recently and like I could, it would feel very uncomfortable and risky to reach out to her and be like, Hey, how would you feel if I come visit you? for a few nights yeah like that feels like very scary to me and but it could be something amazing yeah it could be something awesome to reconnect with her and her husband and her three kids and i've never met her her daughter and so i was just thinking like oh i'm sure that there are other people from my past that i could try and like rekindle something and and see but that's very scary to me so it's like you were saying how i take risks but in some respects i do but when it comes to the people in my life i feel like i don't uh, people in your life is broad. You take risks with your online friends. Yeah, but my online friends know me as Charlie. So everybody in my real life knows me as my real name. And so I don't take as many risks with those people. Yeah, because there's a lot of baggage from our prior selves and yeah. there's prior relationships. And so I have the same type of struggle. You always tell me I have no f- real friends. Yeah. And to some extent, you're right. But to some extent, it's like, well, I have good relationships with a ton of my college friends. The problem is not many of them are as interested in like growth and development. And I don't think they're as ambitious as I am. And mm-hmm. so it's hard when we get to back, when we all get together, it's like, 
we can't escape who we were in college. And it's just immature. There's a lot of drinking and all that. And now that I don't really drink anymore, it's even harder. Uh, and I try to get below the surface a little bit, but I think so many of them are hesitant. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that it's only natural to, if you knew someone 15 years ago, to compare yourselves to like their trajectory to yours. And so if they're seeing some of these changes, their natural instinct is to object to it because they are comparing my growth to theirs. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's that's a challenge with my college friends. And then I do think I make friends and connections through things like Capital Camp or just the online investing community. I struggle with migrating from, okay, we're going to talk every so often about investing or business or even content that we like to crossing over to my personal life and theirs. And so I think really, I'm trying to get better at this, taking cues from you, but leading with vulnerability, leading with just that kind of stuff and see where it goes. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about Capital Camp? The one thing that I really wanted to highlight was um, this was your third year going and the past two times you went, you you drank while you were there and this is the first time that you didn't drink and it was kind of eye-opening for you. It was absolutely crazy. There were a few things. One, it's like, especially as an introvert, draining to be at a big event like this. It's You're always on, you're always talking to someone. It's just nonstop and I am not used to that. And so in years past, I would be so tired and I would have to like figure out how to try to keep like my energy high and then I would skip out and go to bed early and stuff like that. This time I would have like a Coke at the events in addition to water and my energy just kept rising and I never got tired of talking to people. It was crazy. And then I was in a, in a really good conversation on the first night and he was, it was kind of winding down and he was like, well, I'm going to go to the after party. Uh, like, do you want to come? I said, yeah. And so I went to the after party, which is just crazy. In the prior two years, I never went to the after party. And it was this like rooftop bar and I just ordered a, um, a water. And there was this other investor who has a relatively high profile in the public investing world. Like had I known he was going to be there, he was someone that I would have been very excited to meet. And so me and this this other guy go, and he knew the other guy that I was talking to. And so now the three of us are talking. And this high-profile investor, who I had previously wanted to meet, is slurring his words, can't carry on a conversation. It was so off-putting. And in my head, I'm like, I will ne- I'm never going to cultivate this relationship. And that's probably unfair because like, I've also probably been there at some point where I've had one too many drinks, but, uh, but it was just so interesting. It was like, I took the blinders off and I could see reality for what it is. Every time I spoke to you on the phone while you were there, you were just like so excited and flying high. (laughs) It was, it was really awesome. Um, and then after you came back, we were, we were actually, um, we went to the beach one afternoon and we were hanging out with our friends, which is your one of your college buddies and his wife. And well, I also I went to college oh, with the both wife of them. Also, yeah. Yes, he I think was is kind of like in this. I don't know if he's depressed or what, but he's like struggling with 
drinking and like he's unhappy in his job and things like that we were just kind of you know saying how alcohol was making us feel and why we haven't been drinking and he was like relating to like and nodding his head a lot but he's like yeah and he kind of was joking but he was just like yeah no i i feel that way too but i just keep drinking and laughed and i was like you know i've been there like i remember that point where i i like intellectually understood that alcohol was not the best thing for me but i still wanted to keep drinking yep and we lived there for a long time. A long time. And he was just like not in a place to, to consider stopping. And I think the big difference there is that we've had people in our lives that we can be inspired by, like Polina and Pomp. I think there's there, we're seeing it more of like, on, especially like online, like in our online world, people who are being vocal about not drinking and it's being more normalized. The not drinking is being more normalized. And up until that point this point in our lives for me drinking has always been like the thing to do i think that's part of it i think it's deeper than that though well one he now has us but the difference i think is going back to what i was saying earlier like he knew me when i was in college and he knows me now and it's it's almost like this comparison whereas if you meet someone new it's more of a positive sum game two i think for us We not only needed the example to see, oh, wow, this is what life is like, but we also needed to be so inspired in our own pursuits. And I think that's the big difference. Mm -hmm. Like we were still drinking, but we were also so motivated. And then we were like, okay, well, we don't have enough time to be good parents and pursue all of this and have a relationship. Something's got to give. Some, and then the light bulb went off. It was like, oh, this is so obvious. And I <laughs> haven't wanted to drink since. For him, I don't think he feels that same. He's stuck. Yeah. And I was stuck for a while when I was living in San Francisco. And it takes that like calling and your a passion that you want to pursue above drinking. Because for him, once he puts the kids to bed, Right. There's nothing that's as exciting to him. And so he's trying to escape or off-ramp from the day. And for me now, my off-ramp is the stuff I'm pursuing. What What else about Capital Camp did you want to talk about? Capital Camp is amazing. <laughs> and I know I'm like singing the cult song here. So it's expensive. And to full transparency, I go every year. Well, I started going for the first couple of years primarily because I'm a small LP in, in Brent's fund. What's an LP? A limited partner. So I'm, I invested a small amount of money in permanent equity, which is uh, Brent's fund. Brent, I, who runs the camp? Yeah, so Brent, be sure, and Patrick O'Shaughnessy run the, the camp. Uh, and so I started going because of that dynamic. Without that dynamic, I think it would have been hard to swallow the price point of it. Um, but now that I've been, and it gets better each year, and it compounds on itself, I am so excited to keep going. It's one of these events where everybody is pre-filtered. It's like that the question that we talk about, how do I know if somebody is going to be, like could be a friend? A friend. It's what podcasts do you listen to? And if it's all sports and pops, pop culture, probably. Or nothing. Or nothing, it probably <laughs> um, is not. And sports and pop culture are fine. I listen to that stuff too. But, well, I'll, I'll go on the flip side. If someone mentions... And again, I'm singing the cult tune here, but like Patrick O'Shaughnessy or even better like David Senra or even better, like more niche. It would be Making Media, which is like Matt Russell's uh, show that he's doing. Then I'm like, oh, okay, we are going to really get along here. And so everybody's pre-filtered. Everybody's interesting. Everybody's doing interesting things. And so every conversation is good. 
I also think it's one of these things where if you're going to leave with one idea or one relationship you can take with you and really improve your life. Like mm. no other conference I've ever been to, do you actually leave where you're going to keep in touch with the people? Like people, you'll get a bunch of business cards and then you'll never get back to those people. Here, it's like I meet one or two people each year that I keep in cut, touch with on a regular cadence, whether that's monthly or quarterly or, or, or whatnot. And then from an idea standpoint, like this year, so the first event I went to, which was on the first day, I just got off the, the plane and uh, I meet this guy who runs a company called Chess at Three in Brooklyn. And they are teaching chess to three-year-olds through storytelling. And as soon as I heard it, I was like, what? And now our son, George, is going to start virtual chess lessons. And so that's one thing that came out of it. Two, one of my hurdles with my fund is explaining what I do and honing in on what is differentiated versus every other investor. And there were a few talking points that over the past few months, like I really have been uh, pinpointing and I'm like, okay, I really want to focus on that. And one, by talking about it to people over and over throughout the three days, I was able to see like what resonated. And everyone says that like, yeah, whenever you pitch, like pay attention. But when you're actually in a pitch meeting, one, they're less frequent than 16 back-to-back conversations. And two, the stakes are a little bit higher. So I'm not as observant or I'm not as willing to experiment. And you're not as engaged with the response. You're mostly focused on what you're going to say. Exactly. And so I was able to practice from from that juncture and then also listening to how other people are talking about what they do and some people Mm. who do similar things to me. And it's not regurgitating or copying them, but it's the way they framed it really resonated and learning about that. And so I think like I came away being more confident in my ability to articulate the differentiation, which is cool. So those would be the the big ones. You were talking a minute ago about the pre-filter and like feeling like these are your people and and knowing that without even speaking to them because they're at this conference. That kind of brings me to the other thing I wanted to talk about today, which was community. Community is something that I have been feeling like is really important, especially for the kids and something that we should be like striving for. But then I don't actually do anything to build or create or find community. (laughs) And the reason why this came up for us is because we've been exploring the the, the idea of living somewhere else. Pretty much still like in Wilmington or around Wilmington because we do love it here. But getting out of the suburbs, like we're we're not really happy in the suburbs. We love our house. Um, Our neighbors are really nice, but we don't we aren't friends with our neighbors. We are neighbors with our neighbors. I don't really see that changing. Like it's really nice that the kids can go out front and they're really little right now, but like still they can go out front and there's just like kids playing, you know, like that's when we first moved here and we saw all the kids outside and the families were like, Oh my God, this is like, so like picturesque and like, this is exactly how we want to raise a family. But a lot of these kids are punks and Uh, I don't want my kids to be influenced by the way that they're acting. Yeah, for me, though, the problem is, like, with the community here, there's so much of, like, comparison and mimetic desire and this, like, pride, like, I'm better than you because I live here. And, and, like, everyone, yeah, there's just this sense of superiority because they, and there's so much pride in the neighborhood that we live in, and that is not something I want to buy into or pass down to our kids and so that's what has turned me off like everyone is nice but there's just something that um is off-putting about that it it's hard because when 
when we bought this house, we loved the concept of having like a neighborhood where kids were running around all the time. Our kids could just go out and play. And so now we have this different vision or I have this different vision of living more out in the country where we're surrounded by woods and there's a little stream running through and we could go fly fishing or we could ride our ATVs. And um, He said this the other day. He's like, we could get ATVs. And I'm like, what are you talking about, ATVs? Like, He's like, don't you think that would be fun? I'm like, um, I don't know. Well, it's, I, I, there's, it's a romantic idea because it's a childhood that I never had that I think would be really fun. The total separation from community, though, is not something I want. So we would have to figure out how to marry those two things. It's like... Finding a community with other families that we do want our kids to be around while also having more land and space. Yeah. I've been having this, not fear, but just thought that like when our kids get older, are they, are they going to be like, oh, we loved our childhood? Or are they going to resent us for, you know, their how we decided to bring them up? And I just started reading this, this memoir called Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zahner. And she actually wrote about this. So I'm just going to read this page to you. When I was 10, we moved seven miles outside the city, out past the Christmas tree farms and the hiking trails of Spencer Butte Park to a house in the woods. It sat on nearly five acres of land where flocks of wild turkeys roamed, picking for insects in the grass, and my dad could drive his riding mower in the nude if he wanted to, shielded by thousands of ponderosa pines, no neighbors for miles. Out back, there was a clearing where my mother grew rhododendrons uh, rod- yeah, and kept the lawn kept. Beyond it, the land gave way to sloping hills of stiff grass and red clay. There was a man-made pond filled with muddy water and soft silt, silt and salamanders and frogs to chase after, catch, and release. Blackberry bramble grew wild in the early summer, and during the burning season, my father would take to it with a large pair of gardening shears and clear new pathways between the trees to form a circuit he could round on his dirt bike. (laughs) Once a month, he'd ignite the burn piles he'd gathered, letting me squeeze the lighter fluid onto their bases, and we'd admire his handiwork as the six-foot bonfires went up in flames. I loved our new home, but I also came to resent it. There were no neighborhood children to play with, no convenience stores or parks within biking distance. I was stranded and lonely, an only child with no one to talk to or turn to but my mother. Yeah. Wow, that's (laughs) that's phenomenal. Um, And that setting is exactly what I'm envisioning. And when you said you don't know if our kids are going to love it or resent it, uh, I think both. Mm -hmm. I think that's only natural. But what I'm realizing, and it all comes down to uh, having the the freedom to and the money to choose the type of lifestyle we want. For me, it would be great to have a house in the woods like you just described through that passage while also having a home more in civilization. And we can pick and choose our spots with where we want to be. And we can separate when we need separation, but we can go back to it when when we want. And it may not be this home, but I think having two separate and distinct places, and also I just think change of scenery is good for creativity generally, mm-hmm. but uh, that is, I think being totally secluded in the woods would be difficult for them. When I have been thinking about community, I feel like I'm supposed to be trying to make community, but then like I'm not actually wanting to, and I think it's because like I've got my head down right now, and I'm focused on Charlie Bleeker and I'm focused on my family and by family I mean you and the kids and that's it like not my parents not my siblings and it feels like my life is in some ways it's so full with those things that's it that when I try to 
focus on those other things, they're, they're like a distraction or they're just getting in the way of how I want to be living my life. Yeah. Is that wrong? I mean, that's how I feel. Mm-hmm. What, what gives you pause? I guess if we, if we had community, then it would feel really nice. It would feel really nice to rely on people and have some physical social interaction and people that we could call. Like right now, our like emergency contacts for the kids or for like daycare is your mom who lives in Charlotte. So she's like not coming if something happens or our neighbors. Right. And they are not our friends. Right. I think what we need to find is community that's additive to our lives. It doesn't have to like take away from what you're focused on. If you find... How do you find that though? It's hard. It's really (laughs) hard. But if you found people who are as ambitious and creative as you are and listen to the same podcasts and read the same books, you wouldn't feel like you're taking away from the stuff you're focused on by hanging out with them. It would feel actually enhancing. Mm-hmm. because every time you hung out with them, you would get new ideas and you would talk about what you're reading or listening to. And that is what we need to find. Right. And But then the other thing I was thinking about is like, George is going to be three and Layla is a year and a half. And we are thinking about their education, uh, about not sending them to a regular school and like doing some type of alternative education, whether it's a micro school or different kind of like teachers that we can send them to different kind of um, experiences that we can send them to outside the home. Like we're not going to homeschool and it really stresses me out because I don't know how we're going. Like we talk about like finding a few other families to do a micro school with, like how are we supposed to find these people? Like I'm not putting myself in a position to be found. I feel like you're putting yourself in more positions to meet people. I am not leaving the house. (laughs) Well, you have a coffee date scheduled on Monday. How are you feeling about that? I do have a coffee date scheduled on Monday, which was um, felt kind of random. Paulina tweeted something about like some women that she was following on Twitter. And she included me and this other woman who lives in Wilmington. So um, I I reached out to her. And so, yeah, I mean, I have no idea what it's going to be like or if we're going to like you know, hit it off or not. Yeah, just like you have no idea if these solo podcasts about memoirs are going to become something. But you need to be putting yourself in the position mm-hmm. to like give yourself a chance for yeah. success. But that was like so random. And But it's such a good pre filter. It's yeah, like no, Polina it thinks this woman is interesting and thoughtful and like it, all of the things you're gonna look for. Right. right. But outside I'm saying the way that that happened was so like, you know, but isn't that the way everything happens? Like, there's well, no formula to I, make no, my, I guess my point is I can't, like, wait for those opportunities and those meet chance meetings to happen. I have to, like, put myself out there, kind of like dating. But it's a thread. So you're going to go to this coffee meeting and you're going to either hit it off or not. But And if you hit it off, you can tap into her social group or mm-hmm. friend group. And if not, it may lead you to, oh, do you know so-and-so in town? Right. I think you're right. I think that if we find the people that we want a part of our community, then it's not going to feel like it's taking away from what we're trying to do and what we're focused on. Anything else? I think we hit everything I wanted to talk about. We could talk really quickly about money. Yep. Let's do it. Okay. So we hired a personal chef. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like the junior version. What do you mean? We don't have a personal chef coming over five nights a week 
and preparing us dinner every night. She comes over on Mondays and she cooks dinners for the week. and sides for the week and then we'll package them all up and give us reheating, reheating or recooking instructions. Um, and then we get a, like a properly homemade meal on that Monday that she comes over. Mm-hmm. So we, we just did this the past two weeks and um, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. We had Georgia's speech therapist come over one day while she was here and... I wasn't like really concerned, but it was kind of just like, oh yeah, we have a person, yeah. <laughs> a private chef now. I knew you were feeling like that. <laughs> and she reacted so great. She's like, this is amazing. Um, but then my family is coming in August and we were like talking about like maybe having her come and not while they're here, but like coming and like prepping some kinds of like salads or side dishes or stuff that we would have um, so that we wouldn't have to make everything. And like she made this strawberry salsa. You know, it was so fresh and mm. good and oh my god i've never made anything like it a lot of this stuff i'm just like i never would make this yeah. um but you were like um are you gonna if you if we do that would you tell your parents that like the chef made it <laughs> and i was like yeah like i'm not gonna lie but i don't want to tell my parents that we have a, a personal chef um and i was thinking about this like in a in a bigger way that like um i feel like having money having money makes me unrelatable um and I was talking about this with this, some people in my like writing world. Um, and I was like making a joke cause they were like talking about monetizing their writing, their writing. And I'm like, Oh, well, you just marry rich. Like I was totally like just messing around, but, um, but I did like <laughs> marry rich, not intentionally. Like I met you, I had no idea what your financial situation was. You happened to be doing very well for yourself and and that was nice. Yeah. Um, but you know, most of my life I was struggling and, um, you know, that didn't change until I was in my mid thirties. Um, but now when I, like, I find myself like wanting to make people feel like wanting people to know that like, this is not who I am. This is just like my new life. And, you know, I, am a person who was poor for a very long time. Um, but I don't really know what that's about. Well, there's so many directions I can go. Um, it is very uncomfortable with your family. Like, you know, they make jokes about like our landscapers behind our back or whatever. And so then if we enter a private chef in the mix, I, know. I think we do a good job though of when we're hanging out with them, not like making that it doesn't feel awkward, at least to me. Well, I go out of my way to like tell them other things. Like I was on the phone with my mom and I was telling her how we went to the beach and it was um, Memorial Day. And I said like that your friends were there. And so we had a free parking spot because otherwise the parking would have been insane. And it's just like, you know, if we uh, wanted to go to the beach on Memorial Day and we would have just paid for parking, yeah. but I like made a point to be like, oh no, well, we had free parking because oh, interesting. It, yeah. And it's like, I do that stuff all the time. Yeah. You sh- I think you need to take your advice earlier on about not shrinking from your ambition or your, your passions and take like the David Perel approach of not apologizing if the video skips, like you don't have to apologize or make excuses for the fact that we have some financial freedom. Mm-hmm. You also don't have to call attention to it. You could have just said we went to the beach. No, I know. I'm so awkward about it. Yeah. Like I I am very aware of it and then I'm aware of it making somebody else uncomfortable and then I get weird about it and I make it even more uncomfortable and awkward. And then with other people, 
I'm like, guess what? We got a personal chef. Like, I'm so excited about it. Mm. Who in the world do you say that to? Um, well, I haven't really said that to anybody. Yeah, I can't imagine you saying that to anybody. <laughs> If I knew somebody had a personal chef, I'd be like, guess what? We got a personal chef. Although yeah. I don't know anybody that has one. Well, like your friend from college that has a lot her of and her husband have like way, way more money than uh, like their net worth is multiples of ours. I don't, I don't think you would ever whisper to her like, hey, guess what? We got a personal chef. No, no. But actually when I, right after I first met you, I kind of like found out that you had a lot of money or that you were, did well for yourself. And what did that like? What does that mean? Um, like you certainly didn't know a number. No, I didn't know a number. Um, so okay, <laughs> so I got back from we got back from Mexico where we met at this wedding, and I went back to LA, and you went back to Charlotte, and I was staying in Topanga with my friends that I was mentioning before, and uh, my friend did like a like she stalked you and she like found you on LinkedIn or something, and she was like Charlie like this guy is the real deal. Like he's got money. Like she didn't say he has money. She's like, he is, I forget what she said. Successful but, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It was just like, oh, and then my, my friend who was the bride of the wedding that we went to in, in Mexico, like she told me, like she was like, Sam is, is big time. <laughs> um, which is so funny. Good. At that time, like how I thought of myself first, like the external perception is just the dichotomy is striking. So just having those two people, like one, the friend of a friend of yours and the other just like finding you on LinkedIn and just being like impressed by you. Uh I was like, oh, that's cool. And so then I talked to my college roommate and I was just like, Ellie, and guess what? Because I was like telling her how great it was and like the chemistry and all that kind of stuff. I was like, and he has money. And she was just like really turned off by me saying that. And she was like, oh, I didn't think that you cared about that. And I was like, I don't, which is why it's so cool. Like, yeah, it's like a bonus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah. and I said the same thing to my sister and my older sister, which I have no idea why the fuck I would say this to her because she's never. You said that to your. I didn't. I knew you said it to Ellie. I didn't know you so, Yeah, you also. Alexis. And she was like. Uh, said, ha- kind of had the same a similar reaction yeah. to Ellie of like why does that matter and I'm like yeah no and it doesn't yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like at the time it was just like I really like this guy and he actually has money like nobody up until that point in my life had I liked and was actually like a successful person and I don't just mean like successful financially I mean like an adult like well that's it that's, the guys it's that like I liked were just idiots mm-hmm. and like not really doing that great for themselves. And mm-hmm. I never cared about that. Right. So, um, so it was exciting. Yeah. And I, um, I lived with that for a long time before I shared it with you because yeah. I didn't want you, if, if I told you that I was so afraid that you were going to be like, I can't believe that you said that. And you were just like, totally understanding. And that's why I'm married to you. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> we met in like the coolest way because you didn't know anything about me when we first met other than you were friends with right my friends right so that was like the pre-filter that i'm at least friends with people you know in person it's not like some online thing Mm -hmm. and then the more we talked the more we realized like that we had chemistry and we had things in common that even our friends didn't know i knew for a fact you weren't seeking a relationship out because of the money and then we dated for a really long time before we got engaged, especially at our age. I think many yeah. people thought we would have gotten engaged way sooner than we did. And so I knew you and I knew 
it wasn't about like the money, but also the money is a filter for someone who can hold a job and has passions and interests and ambitions. I mean, I don't think there's any way to hide Mm -hmm. that. It's why entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs are attractive Yeah, or more attractive than they would be. Coming back to like talk, telling Ellie now who Ellie is the one who's now like, in a v- she very married good rich. Yeah, she's, very rich. <laughs> she's in a very good financial situation. And um, I feel like I could say this stuff to her, but even but because of that interaction we had, I still feel like not completely comfortable. I just don't feel comfortable. I think I'm just like not super comfortable with my relationship with money yeah. and. Yeah, we should keep talking about this on the podcast yeah. because I don't think I'm comfortable with my relationship to money either. But we need to get comfortable with it, especially as we figure out how to bring the kids into the conversation and when, right? whether they're kids or adults. But um, at first I was leaning towards not telling them anything about it until they're older and have their own interests and pursuits and ambitions. But then like being transparent with them at a young age, I think may be more mm. of the, like the cultural bedrock that i want for our family like mm. i don't want to hide them or shelter them from the reality of the fact that they're going to inherit some money but i don't know it what we can keep talking about it but it's funny like going just going back to ellie and then we can close up but you were willing to say the uncomfortable thing and that is you you've always been willing to say the uncomfortable thing and in that moment she fell back on cultural norms like you're not supposed to say that right when it's like this is the reality of it it's nice to have money. I and people who don't say that I don't understand. <laughs> I I just don't. I I like having money. I want more of it. <laughs> <laughs> it was really funny. I was in a, a breakout room at um like the very beginning of Rite of Passage, and um we were I was talking with somebody about like like our our goals, and we were like both of us were being like really dancing around what we wanted to say. And by the end of it, we were both like, we just want to be really fucking filthy rich. <laughs> and we, it was so cool for us to both come to that realization and, and share it because like, there's nothing wrong with that. No. And cause you know why? Cause it buys freedom and you yeah. can do whatever you want. Right. And you could go anywhere you want. And it's like our days could be a clear cal- calendar and a place we love with people we enjoy. And like, that's the goal. It's not like to buy material things as much. Well, I do want to have like really nice houses and great places but like that's kind of the extent of it it's actually funny so david center had lunch with sam zell who recently passed away so he had uh lunch with him i think he was like 81 or something and he had lunch with him which like someone guy reached out to him on twitter and was like sam zell loves your podcast and wants to have lunch with you and he's in miami this date and david center like thought he was gonna get kidnapped (laughs) and so he told his wife like where he was gonna be and all this (laughs) stuff and then he's sitting at the table and he's told the story a million times and he says it's so funny but Sam Zell walks in and sits across from him and it's just the three of them, the guy that introduced them. And David goes, you're fucking Sam Zell. (laughs) And Sam Zell thought it was so funny. But, and then like three months later, Sam Zell dies. Like it's just crazy. But um, Sam Zell was talking about like, go for freedom, go for freedom. You got to go for freedom. But like the one thing that is really nice is the private jet. So if you could go for one thing, go for that. And it's like so funny and so relatable, but like, (laughs) yeah, no material things, but the private jet. (laughs) Yeah. You got to have a private jet. So, um, all right. Well, uh, it was, it was fun to get back into this with you again. Yeah. 
I mean, I just have fun doing this with you. I think it's it's nice way to be present with each other too. Yeah, me too.